The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo, provide a phenomenal customer experience, and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is the Customer Edge with Game Changers Radio. We're delighted to have you listening. Today's buzz, field service. We've got a lot to talk about, so let me get started. Does your company still consider field service to be a cost center? You know you're looking at minimizing costs, but you still want exceptional customer service. Today, mobile social people want to get customer service right there when they want it, as they want it. You know what's required today by our very active and social and mobile consumers. If you answered yes about field service, I have a newsflash for you. Successful companies today are evolving their customer engagement strategies. They are leveraging field service reps' frontline interactions. That means right on the front line with the customer as a critical touch point in strengthening customer relationships and driving new revenue opportunities. Those are two important bottom lines. So my question to you out there is, are you ready for a makeover? We have a great panel. They're experts. They're thought leaders. Going to share their POV, the point of view, and expertise with us. So let me introduce our first panelist. It's John Ragsdale. He's a vice president of technology and social research for the Technology Services Industry Association. And we're going to abbreviate that during the show to TSIA. I'll remind you a little bit off and on what it stands for. But John sent me the following quote. Very interesting. He says, in many companies, field service is the last organization in desperate need of a complete overhaul. Multiple industry drivers, including mobility, social, retiring baby boomers, no, we're not retiring yet, John, are forcing field services teams, something sometimes kicking and screaming into the 21st century. John Ragsdale, great quote. Welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So tell me, interesting quote, let's relate it to our topic, which is ultimate makeover, transforming field service reps into customer ambassadors. Big topic. Get us started, John. Well, when I first became a technology analyst back in 2000, I couldn't get anyone to talk about field service automation. I think a lot of tech companies had spent all of the 90s implementing supply chains, logistics systems for their parts warehouse, and they were just saturated with new technology. But the mobile revolution has really changed all that. I do an annual survey on technology adoption and planned spending. And starting three or four years ago, field service automation emerged as one of the top investments areas. Companies are now arming their field staff with smartphones, tablets, and mobile applications, and we're seeing some really interesting use cases like real-time collaboration and even live video links. 
So I'm happy to say that today, field service has some of the most innovative solutions in all of service technology, and all of that is allowing these field techs to deliver a a better experience for the customer, a much less uh, costly uh, service delivery for the company, and all in all, it's just a a win-win for everyone involved. Thank you, John. Very good points to start us off. I have a question for you. Is this making the profession, and I will use that word advisedly, the profession of being a field service rep more exciting? Are we seeing an influx of people coming in and saying, yeah, that's what I want to do. Look at the technology. Look at the excitement. Look at the new opportunities, the innovation. Is this overhauling the people in the field too, or what do you see? I think that the hiring profiles are definitely changing. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely seeing companies moving away from the traditional technology expert and more into the relationship expert. We're introducing some sales capabilities. So it, it's really, in my view, a very strategic role because you're right in the face of the customer in their home or in their office. So I think it's in the midst of a transformation, and I think five, ten years from now, it will be a completely different profession than it is today. Wonderful. Thank you. You did. You tipped into our predictions round, which we saved for the end of the show, so I'm going to ask you to repeat that and add on to it later on. Thank you, John. Great intro. Let's welcome our second guest today. It's Sumer Dutta. He is the Chief Customer Officer for the Service Council, and we will abbreviate that today as TSC. Great quote coming up from Professor Francis X. Fry at the Harvard Business School. Here's the quote from Sumer. In order to be great, you've got to be bad. I like that, Sumer. How bad are we talking about? Who is going to be bad? Welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted. So talk to me. Tell me about your quote. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really simple quote, and uh, I've listened to some of Professor Fry's uh, comments and speeches over the years, and she makes a really good point. And you can think outside of customer service and field service in any sort of business, you know, you have to establish yourself or you have to establish a competitive differentiator. You can't be good at everything. It's not feasible to be good at everything. Do you think about whether it's, you know, someone like Walmart, who obviously receives a black eye for what they do, but if you think about Walmart, they, they understand what it is that they're good for and what is their differentiator. If you think about customer service, companies like, you know, the well-known companies like Zappos, they understand what it is that they want to be good for, mm-hmm. and they aim to achieve that. They don't achieve to do other things. So they're not, they're not measuring themselves on call times. They're measuring themselves on customer satisfaction, and they understand that that's their differentiator. So I think what Professor Fry is saying is it's not that go be terrible at something. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the message that's coming out. I think the message is understand what it is that you need to be excellent at and to to accommodate that you're not going to be the best at everything else and that's fine. If you're a business leader, you're able to accept that and you're able to communicate to your to your employees that this is what we're going to be excellent at and this is what we're going to be good at, but it doesn't mean that that is going to be our competitive differentiator. And I think that resonates really well when you start thinking about field service where you know, not everyone can provide a two-hour field service window. Is that really the differentiator of your business? And if it is, then you need to differentiate on that. Can you resolve the customer's issue when a field service agent or technician shows up at the customer's site? Can you make that your differentiator, even though you're not showing up in two hours? 
you really have to figure out what it is that your customers want and what it is that you can differentiate on. And that's where Professor Fry is getting at, essentially, in a quote. Thank you, Samir. Very interesting. I'm thinking while you're speaking of, of an old quote, uh, I don't know who said it, might not be a quote, it's just a word of advice, what we used to call an old saw, pick your battles. <laughs> and so I, I think what you're saying is she's saying, pick your niche, pick your differentiation, and go out and be really, really good at it, and don't worry about doing everything. Great point. Thank you, Samir. Let's bring on our third panelist to round us out today. It's Hanson Liu. I'll spell that L-I-E-U, the French name, Liu place. Uh, he is the Director of Product and Solutions Marketing at SAP, and I have a five-word quote from Hanson. Don't be Kramer's cable guy. Welcome, Hanson. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie, and uh, happy to be on here. Yeah, Thank so, you. I mean, really, my quote goes to go back to the point of, uh, of the field service engineers today. For those of you who are fans of Seinfeld, you probably remember the episode where Kramer, who's Seinfeld's uh, neighbor and friends, uh, was being contacted by the cable company. And the cable company wanted to, to come by and essentially turn off the free channel, the free premium channels that he has been getting uh, accidentally. So Kramer mm-hmm. uh, decided that he was going to get back at the cable company. And the reason was that the experience that he got when he was trying to get his cable service installed, he was saying things like, well, you know, they, they, they would tell me uh, to wait four hours and then not show up and then show up late. You I know, remember that things. episode. Yes, keep going. I remember, remember it. that, right? So, yes, So what I he do. was doing was he was basically doing the same thing that the, field, the, the cable guy was mm-hmm. doing to him. In, in other words, make, make an appointment and not show up and not be there. And he would enjoy doing this, right? And we were just having a great laugh because we can all relate to the, the experience that we're all getting, uh, you know, with our cable guy. And, in fact, I would say with many of the other similar type servers that we were getting, anything that we break, uh, even at the office, when, you, when your printer is down, you're calling for a service to, to get the printer, you're getting the runaround. You're not getting that that prompt service that you expect. And, and this, this was what happened, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And I would say that some of that is still happening today. I mean, I think uh, John was referencing that it's gotten a lot better today. Uh, I would say yes, but I think it's still a long way to go. So really, my advice on that quote is your few service guys should not be and don't try to be Kramer's cable <laughs> guy because that's not where you want to be. You know, that's such a colorful reference, and I think that was probably, of all the episodes, so memorable because we all have to go through it. I, I bought a recently a couch and an armchair, Hanson and panel, and, and I realized after the delivery people had left and I had signed for receipt that the armchair must have been either warped or the legs weren't in properly, and it had about a one-inch wobble. So you could literally, it wasn't supposed to be a rocking chair, but it was. <laughs> I called and I said, is this really the way it's supposed to be? No, no, no. We'll set you up with custom, with field service basically it took three weeks to get somebody here three weeks they sent me to two people just to figure out the appointment the second person gave me the same appointments the first one did i finally picked a day when i I knew i was going to be here he came promptly they called me the night before but i thought three weeks and all i did was put some shims in and adjust the legs and it's fine now but three weeks to fix a chair really luckily the guy was nice and yes i tipped him but 
three weeks, and that's a major furniture chain? I rest my case. Okay, I have a question for the panel. The question is, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? So tell me a good little story so we can get to know a little bit about your personality. John Ragsdale, you're up first. Go ahead. Well, Bonnie, if it were 5 p.m., I'd be enjoying um, uh, my favorite Bombay Sapphire Martini with an olive and a twist, shaken until the ice breaks in those tiny little shards that melt on your tongue. But it's just noon here in California, so I'm stuck with a Diet Pepsi. I love that poetry of how you talked about the ice breaking up. Do you have a, a, a special brand? Uh, yeah, the Bombay Sapphire Gin Bombay is Sapphire. my absolute okay. favorite, and I think that if you put it in the liquor cabinet close to the vermouth, that's really enough. You don't actually have to add the vermouth. <laughs> okay, I have to tweet that. Thank you. So it's it's uh, is that guilt by association, or is that love by proximity, or is that what happens next to the vermouth? Yeah, maybe a little of both. <laughs> okay, I had a feeling. Thank you. Great story. Sumer Dada, what are you drinking today, or what's happening after the show? Well, can I change my answer to John's drink? Because that sounds more interesting. <laughs> you certainly may. But my question to you then is: Would you have would you have the Bombay Sapphire Gin sitting next to the Vermouth, or would you add the Vermouth? What, how would you mix it? Uh, I'd probably add the Vermouth, but uh, I, I like John's drink. And but uh, to, to your question, Bonnie, I think I have a couple of answers there. I'm a, I'm a simple man, and I um, we just I recently moved from uh, well, I moved from Boston to Chicago, and now Chicago to Milwaukee. So, moving further and getting further entrenched into the Midwest. And what I miss in Milwaukee is my Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Um, oh. And I know for for most of you who aren't in the Northeast, you'd say what. What is he talking about? But, uh, you know, a, a great customer service story is my local Dunkin' Donuts that I used to walk by in Boston to get to my office. Uh, the lady, once she saw me coming down, she knew exactly what coffee I wanted. And based on the time of the day or the temperature of that day, she would convert it either into an iced coffee or a hot coffee. I didn't have to ask. Think about contextual customer service. So I missed that. And I wish I had a little bit more of that Dunkin' Donuts right now because uh, my coffee mugs have been getting larger since the last two months. Uh, We just had our second child, my wife and I. And given that uh, one of the kids is up at night quite uh, quite a bit, um, I think the size of the coffee mug has gone from 16 ounces to, I think, a 24-ounce mug. So it's the size of the mug that got better. The quality of what's in the mug has gone down, so I'm not I'm not a happy camper right now. <laughs> Sumer, I'm going to say, uh, John will appreciate this. I'm hoping you're not pouring the Bombay gin and vermouth into the 24-ounce mug. And I, it's going to take a while to get you back on your feet. So thank you for the story, and congratulations on the new baby and the addition to your family. And Hanson, Lou, I can't even begin to ask you to top those two stories, so you're you're on your own. I'm tweeting right, this, well, by the way. Well, Go what's ahead. in my cup right now, Bonnie, is, is water, but it is definitely not my favorite drink. I'm a, I'm probably like some I'm a, a, a caffeine addict. So any any non soda based drink, whether it be coffee, mocha, espresso, iced coffee, blended iced coffee, iced tea, frappuccino, you name it, I'm I'm a fan. And and I tell you, I started very early. Um, I was introduced to coffee when I was eight. And this was wow. back when uh, when I was uh, I was born in Vietnam, and uh, it was during the summer that I went and visit my 
grandmother in the farm. And being in the farm, there isn't really much to do. So um, on the first day, uh, first afternoon, my, my aunt was telling me, well, you know, if you do these chores, you'll get a treat. And I was curious as to what treat she was referring to. Uh, well, it, it was iced coffee. It was the Vietnamese iced coffee with uh, uh, very strong coffee with condensed milk uh, and, then, uh, and then put it into a, a glass of ice. So that was my first introduction to caffeine. And, and it, wasn't, it didn't taste that good to me at that time, but time changed. And, and I think after a few of those, <laughs> I'm a fan of caffeine. And Charming. So can I, I'm putting into my, my tweet now, hashtag SAP Radio, our panelists' favorite break drinks. I have a Bombay Sapphire Gin. I have a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. May I put for you, uh, Hanson, may I put Vietnamese iced coffee? Is that okay, just for yep, fun? That's Okay. I'm, I'm into that too. Yep. It's out to the masses. The masses know what the three. I didn't put your <laughs> names, just your drinks. Thank you. Guess what, panelists? This has been a great opening. I, I have to sit still here because the stories are just coming. Tell you what, we're going to go and take a break. I'm speaking today to John Ragsdale at the TSIA. Okay, I'll remind you, Technology Services Industry Association, and Sumer Dutta at the Service Council (TSC) and Hanson Liu at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Our topic today: Ultimate Makeover transforming your field service reps into customer ambassadors. And we're going to find out how easy or hard a journey that is for companies today that have field service reps. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, we'll have a 30-minute roundtable kicking off with John Ragsdale. Michael, out! Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. A global revolution is taking place, shaking the very foundation upon which all enterprises are built. This revolution is led by today's digitally empowered consumers and commercial buyers. They don't see our companies through a channel-focused lens. They look for and expect one experience, irrespective of the channel. Join us to explore insights, information, and ideas from sales, customer service, and marketing experts around the globe. Let's embrace the challenge of engaging customers in this new age. The Customer Edge with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Here we 
are, and we're talking today about the ultimate makeover, transforming your field service reps into customer ambassadors. Sounds like a tall order to me. Let's see what our panelists have to say. John Ragsdale at the Technology Services Industry Association. Okay, from now on, it's just TSIA. John told me before the show the following information. He said TSIA members, and we'll find out who they are, are saying that as much as 40% of their field workforce will retire in the next three years. I'm just going to stop there. John, is that a wow? I think it's a wow. You know, I just had a call uh, yesterday with a company that said it's closer to 50%, uh, probably in the next two years. So, you know, it's pretty uh, dire circumstances for some of these companies, and it's forcing them to rethink people, process, and technology. Um, Our members are all uh, large hardware and software companies, um, and you know, this is uh, a critical piece of their business. But some companies are looking at this as an opportunity to revolutionize the way they do business. And my favorite story, because I'm the tech guy, so I always mm-hmm. like how technology is helping us change things. Um, I had a great interview with this uh, sort of an HVAC company. They work in building supplies. And they lost uh, a complete 50% of their workers over the last few years have retired. And they were very expensive very senior workers, and they were, you know, they cost a lot of money, and when they were looking at how they were going to replace them, they came up with a completely new strategy. Instead of bringing in more highly paid experts, they brought in um, average paid generalists who were pretty good at technology but not experts, and they armed each of them with a video-enabled pair of safety glasses, kind of like Google Glass for uh, an industrial environment. And they hired a small group of experts in the corporate office, and they, through this video link, walked these generalists through diagnosing and fixing problems in the field. So instead of having to have 50 or 100 experts, they're now having 50 or 100 generalists and just three or four experts back at corporate, and through the magic of this video link, Every generalist becomes an expert because they're tapping into that expertise. So, uh, you know, I do think the I'm talking to companies in total panic mode about the retiring mm-hmm. workers, but I'm trying to get them to look at it as an opportunity to change the way they do business. John, what kind of expense are we talking about? Is this for companies that, that have a nice, healthy budget that's, okay, it's time to join the tech world and get mobile here? Or is this for somebody who can do it a little at a time, a small part of the field reps or uh, workforce? I'm just curious. Well, uh, there are also companies that didn't, um, you know, the original uh, device, headset devices were thousands of dollars, but some of them mm-hmm. now are hundreds of dollars. So they're really not that much more than a, an average smartphone. But I also just had a call with a company that is doing this live video link on their smartphones using FaceTime. So you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a wearable device if that's uh, a bit beyond your IT department's grasp or your budget. Uh, They've all got a smartphone in their pocket already, and FaceTime is basically free. So I think there are some low-cost ways to get started, at least to do some trials. And that's really what I encourage with this is before you roll out a tablet to every employee, pick a a dozen workers and try to do some creative things and, and see what works and see what doesn't because, um, you know, every best practice doesn't work for every company. That is a point worth putting on the side of a building or, or uh, <laughs> embroidering on a pillow. It really is. Thank you, John. Samir Dutta, I want to hear what you have to say on this thread we've started with John Ragsdale. What are your thoughts? 
I, I think it's a great thread. I, I think it's it's full out crisis mode in terms of a retiring workforce. Um, I think John shared some interesting points from a statistical point of view. You know, we've seen that it's uh, almost uh, more than seventy one percent, if you will, in our research and our our. Uh, organizations that we poll are similar to the groups that John talked about from a hardware and software. Uh, we look at it from primarily from industries like manufacturing, telecommunications, utilities, etc. And they say that it's 71% of them actually say that they will face a, a talent shortage in the next 10 years or so. And some of this is due to the retiring workforce, as, as John talked about. It's, it's a huge challenge. The second component, and this is something, Bonnie, you brought up in the earlier quote, is, um, you know, are more and more people being lured into field service as a profession? Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is that, no, at this stage, it, it isn't, at least. Uh, you know, the technology is one thing that will begin to draw more people in. Uh, you know, as John talked about, some of the, uh, the changing roles, that makes it a little bit more lucrative. But we've seen that there aren't that many people coming into field service. There is a reduction in technical schools that focus on field service. And so recruitment is down, essentially. And so there is a big challenge in terms of bringing in new field service workers. Um, so it is a, a big challenge because you have a retiring workforce and organizations are trying to figure out ways of, of utilizing that lost knowledge but then they also need to bring in and recruit new workers, and there isn't a great supply of that. And um, something interesting shared to me was that at one of our events, uh, a service executive said, "Well, when you when you talk to your kids at night, in at night, you know, you don't tell them the story of the brave field service agent, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a profession that people aspire to to come in, you know, come into um, at an early stage, and that's." One of the areas of crisis that, that we have is that, you know, from an education point of view, from a technical college point of view, this isn't yet a lucrative profession and needs to become one for some of these companies to be able to continue to meet service demand. Very good point. Hanson Liu, we'd like you to join in this conversation thread. What do you think about the retirement statistic? Are you have any opinion on 30%, 40%, 70%? And are we in, as Sumer said, all-out crisis mode? What do you think? I definitely agree with John and Sumia. It is a looming crisis for field service. I don't have any statistics to share, but I think a couple of points I want to pick up. One is uh, I, I think this, this shortage of workers is not just field service, but it's really across, uh, it's a broad, broad-based type problems that many companies in different areas are facing. And so I think with field services, it, it's making the matter worse, right? So there's competition for for uh, well-qualified worker, and uh, and in terms of the sort of the compensations and, and around you know what company can put together as a package to attract these new worker is going to be a challenge that a uh, company needs to think about. I think John alluded to uh, a point earlier about making you know the the, the the profile of the worker will change, and they will change because uh, field engineers organizations need to really think about what else, what they need to do, you know, on top of um, of just you know fixing something that's broken, right? So we talk a little bit about cross-selling and upselling, maybe maybe later on, but some of those require new skill, and if they do 
take on those responsibility, uh, there, there will be a change in compensation because now fuel service is not just fixing problems but also driving, uh, driving revenue. I think the other, the other point I want to sort of add on what John referring to is, is yeah, is, is basically taking advantage of the knowledge of your older worker and perhaps mm-hmm. using them as your, as your expert, as your remote um, uh, mentors and experts that are accessible by the sort of the newbie on the job, right, so that they can use mm-hmm. technologies like uh, WebRTC, which is web real-time uh, communication, and that can be used to do video conferencing, video phoning, FaceTime. Any of those technologies can be used by uh, these newer workers and then also the older workers to to complement each other and, and help companies and help organizations address and tackle these problems of, uh, of this crisis. Thank you, Hanson. John Ragsdale, we've had uh, some air talk and we've had Hanson talk. Any wrap-up thoughts on this point before we move to something else, please? Well, one thing that occurred to me is uh, we're, we're talking to a lot of companies that are saying instead of hiring these uh, new workers, we're going to go with outsource firms. So I've been talking to some of the outsource firms that are starting up uh, field service uh, teams that you can hire for, you know, whatever tasks you need. And an interesting thing is when you ask them, who are you hiring? They're saying, we're retired. We're hiring all those retiring workers because they're looking for a, a second opportunity and make a little additional money, you know, and later in life. So uh, I, I worry that uh, even that strategy is very short-lived because, you know, these people aren't going to be working forever. So uh, we may just be prolonging the, the problem by looking to an outsourcer to fix it for us. Interesting. Very interesting. Thank you, John. You know, I'm going to move in a slightly different direction, but on the point you just made, I'm looking at some notes that Samir Dada sent us before the show, and let's talk about the hiring profile for field service workers. So, so Samir says, while technical skills are still extremely important, more and more organizations are looking to hire based on customer management and interpersonal attributes. And then he adds, 81% of companies polled indicate that customer management attributes have become more important from a hiring perspective than compared to five years ago. Samir, why don't you give us some background on this, and then we'll, we'll of course, have Hanson and John join in. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I think it's, it's something that we're seeing in terms of the profile of the field service technician, and, you know, that term in itself as well is up for debate. Um, do we call these folks technicians? Do we call them agents? Do we call them engineers? Um, and I think there's a couple of things at hand. Uh, one is, you know, the, the the mechanical components of, you know, products are becoming a lot more digitized in the sense that there's a lot more software, there's a lot more replacement, rip and replace uh, functionality towards service. So what we're seeing is some of the technical components or needs are, are going down. Um, the other thing we're seeing, obviously, is, in some of the newer generation, there isn't as much of a workforce with their technical skill. Mm-hmm. So what people are looking for, what organizations are looking for, is are, are folks who can come in with the right behaviors and traits and then be trained on some of the necessarily necessary skills and requirements that come into play from a, from a repair and from a service perspective. The other overriding theme uh, that we're seeing is, is something that Hansen kind of started down the path of is organizations are finally coming around to understanding the, the, the impact that field service agents and technicians have on customer service, 
customer attention and business value. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, after the, the, the sale of a product, uh, the folks that you interact with who represent the organizations tend to be service agents, whether they're field service or customer service agents. And therefore, any amount of goodwill or any amount of revenue-generating activities or any of these additional components are tied to that goodwill that is established during that service interaction. So these field service agents are quite often the only ambassadors of the organization that customers get to interact with and form their opinions about your organization through that interaction. And therefore, you know, they can't just show up and and grumble in and, and use, you know, have dirty shoes and step all over your rug and, you know, they might fix the problem. That's the biggest thing that they're there for. But they have to do so and deliver an experience that makes you as a customer feel good about the relationship that you have with that organization. And that's why some of these attributes are becoming more and more important within companies is we need to be able to get in some of these more interpersonal, more communication skills to improve the customer experience. And then if we do want to consider revenue and selling or something that we'll we'll probably go further down the pipe of discussing, that's something that can only be done once the uh, the field service agent has amazed that customer with that particular interaction. I love that. Thank you very much. Hanson, chime in. I know you have a point of view on this. Yep, yep. So, I mean, I think starting starting with what field service organization wants to do, right? I mean, that's the starting point. What we've just talked about sort of the, the retirements of the some of the older workers. I think this is also an opportunity for organizations to really think about what they're trying to achieve as a field service, right? Do they still want to be sort of the fixed type operation? Uh, do they want to be more than that? And, you know, I think for, for me at, at SAP, we, we sort of have a point of view here, which is that Customers are on these journeys. They're on the journey, uh, whether they're buying, whether they're trying out, whether they're experiencing something out. And vendors and brands are really invited on these journey on a on a sort of on a earned basis. They have to earn their place to be there. Field service plays a big role on that journey, right? If you think about it, is is when a customer's um, you know, have a problem with a product that they bought that they that they call for service. So now think think of the the situation. A customer have problems. You're here to help solve that, and hopefully you're you're there more helpful than not, right? So once you show up, this field engineer really need to more than know to be more than just a fixer, right? To be able to fix things. So you think about the the profile and the skills that the the engineer needs to have. Right, they they should be engaging. Right, they need to be very strong EQ. Know how to deal with a a, a frustrated customer who's probably not happy. Know mm-hmm. when to to push for something. Know when to uh, raise an issue. Know how to engage with these customers. Right, it's, it's about understanding the role, and then and this role is becoming more and more important than just fixing a, a problem that's down. So I think. I think companies really have a lot of, uh, have some opportunity here, really. Problem come opportunity to really define who they want to be and then identify and define the role. Some of the profiles that Sumi had had talked about, you know, a a good example of what company can consider uh, when they're looking to, uh, to hire the new, the replacement or the new worker. 
Thank you very much. Great points. I, I Something came to mind when you were speaking. You said, uh, Hanson, they need to know yeah. when to do this and know when to that. I'm thinking, of course, of the Kenny Rogers song. I think it's called uh, The Gambler. Uh, know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away, and exactly. know when to run, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, Hopefully. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and I said that, that takes EQ. That's not something you can train somebody to do. It, it's knowing, it has having that understanding and that the emotional intelligence of, of when to do things the right way. Right, absolutely. Funny with this uh, furniture repair field rep, lovely guy, and he said, what do you do? And I said, I work for SAP, and I told him about the best-run companies, uh, businesses run SAP, and we're business software, and I, that I host business talk radio. And he said, oh, can you tell me anything about stock investing? Because that's my <laughs> side business now. Do you have any advice for wh- how do you do it above the market, below the market, and, and how many puts and calls? And what? And he's quizzing me. On, I, I'm the last person you want to ask. So complete disconnect. But you know what? He was charming. He was authentic. He got the chair fixed. He was here 10 minutes, and that was just fine with me. I think it was a pretty good customer experience. John Ragsdale, join us on this topic that we're talking about with Sumer and Hanson. What are your thoughts? My favorite anecdote around this topic is two years ago, a few weeks before Christmas, and you probably all will remember this, there was a FedEx guy who delivered a new computer to a customer's house. He didn't want to walk all the way up to their front door, so he tossed the computer over the fence. The security camera caught the entire thing. The computer was smashed. It had to be replaced. And that video went viral on YouTube. It got millions of views. And FedEx corporate had to issue an apology and a statement. And, you know, you couple that with all the YouTube videos of Comcast repair people falling asleep on people's sofas. And I think that social media has really opened a lot of companies' eyes that your employees that do delivery and field service are the the voice and the face of your company. And maybe they're not the highest paid employees of the company, but they drive public perception. So if we're not hiring the right people with the right attitudes, giving them the right incentives to act correctly to customers, you know, now the whole world's watching because of social media. So the stakes are getting really, really high when you get this wrong. Very good points. Thank you. Uh, Sumir, I'm going to go back to you. We've had a conversation going here. Any thoughts you want to wrap up on this one? No, it's a really good point by John about social media. I think the visibility of, um, of what's done or what isn't done uh, properly is now there for the world to see, and therefore there's so much more focus on you know the people side, obviously, of who's delivering what needs to be delivered. Um, uh, the only only thing I would I would take away, or one of the things I'd like to say here is, uh, um, you know, the, the, when people start asking, well, who do we need to hire, or what do we need to start looking into when we hire these new service agents, and uh, one of the uh, people I, I look to in terms of any HR related advice is uh, Bob Kelleher. He's uh, he's the owner of the Employee Engagement Group, and they focus a lot on employee engagement, which is a, a big topic of discussion nowadays outside of service and within service. But he uses a very simple formula, a very simple um, model, if you will, and it's the BEST model. It's B-E-S-T as in Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And it says that the best stands for behavior, education, skills, and traits. And he says the behavior and the traits are what you need to hire for, the education and the skills, those are things that can obviously be, uh, be accounted for from a training perspective and from a, from a knowledge perspective. So 
you know, behavior and traits, those are the attributes you need to hire for education and skills. That's what you can train for. And I think it's a very simple model to consider when bringing in sort of the next group of field technicians. Thank you, Samir. What was the second word? I got behavior, education, skills, and was it trade, T-R-A-D-E for the T in BEST? Uh, traits, yeah. Tra- personality traits. Traits. Okay, traits. I got that. And it was uh, Kelleher, this is his quote? Yes, Bob Kelleher from the Employee Engagement Group. Thank you. I'm going to tweet that as soon as we go to our next talking point. And guess what? Hanson Lou, you're up. We started out the show talking about, well, our topic is transforming field service reps into customer ambassadors. And I said that sounded like a tall order. So let's get on with the ingredients that go into that recipe for success. Hanson, you told me some of the steps. I'll just read the first two and you can go on with it. Some of the steps to becoming the customer ambassador are know the customer improve the customer experience, respond on time and as promised, fix it the first time. There are many more. Hanson, why don't you take us through this? Very interesting list. Yep, yep. So just really just a starting point, right? So let's go back to know the customer. So what do I mean by that? Know the customer means that you you really have to know who they are more than just a number. You have to know that uh, this is customer XYZ and this customer has bought this product from us and they have used it and they have called in for a number of problems uh, or that they have warranty or the product is under warranty. It's about knowing everything there is to know about the customers so that the few engineers, when they go on site, you know, are, are saying the right thing, are, are, are addressing the right issues and are dealing with the right problems that the customer have. And that you know, this is sort of one aspect of it. So then, second step: improve the customer experience. Let's go back to sort of the, the, my quote, right? I mean, without without getting better at the experience, there is no way you can move on. There's no way you can evolve into uh, sort of what the what what Samir called the customer ambassador. So, so really, and these are just basic things, right? Responding on time and as promised. I mean, what's the worst part that you can get is when you say. When you, when you when you're told that yeah we'll be there between nine and and one and and and, and realize that's a four hour window and then no no show up there was no show up at all so so we spawn on time and as promised you say you'll be there nine to one then you should you need to be there nine to one fix it the first time right so that's that's another sort of another um, uh, favorite thing and I think many companies are are managing and organizing and measuring against this sort of KPIs, getting it fixed the first time, is not easy to do, but it is a goal that our company needs to get to, to try to target. I think the next few are like anticipating the problems are sort of more advanced. So once you get past that basic, now you, if you could now anticipate their problems and, and, and proactively uh, contact them and say, hey, you know, we, based on our experience and, and with other customers and the way you're using this equipment, we feel that based on what we have here from your equipment that it might be breaking down. Maybe we need to schedule a time to come out to, to replace a part before that that happens, right? So proactively mm-hmm. solving the problem before even it even happens. And then do this consistently over time. I think that, that's sort of the consistency is a pretty big part of it. So you can over deliver in one in one instance and then and then lag on the second instance. It just doesn't work. And then then over time, I think that those staff is developed and built on relationships. So once you have that consistency of experience that your customer have, then 
then you can start to develop and build a relationship, a personal relationship, you know, between the customers and and your company or even with your individual field engineer. At that point, then you could begin to to sort of evolve the relationship from a Mr. Fixer to a an ambassador or a trusted advisor. Thank you very much. John Ragsdale, I want you to come in. We're going to take a break in about four minutes. I think we can push it or we'll skip it. We'll see. John Ragsdale, your thoughts, and then we'll invite Sumer Dada to chime in too. John? Well, I think when you talk to customers about what they want from a field service visit, the, the one thing that irritates people uh, more than anything is when you finally get the field tech there and they can't fix the problem. And, um, you know, our data shows that depending on, you know, which industry you look at, but the fully burdened cost of a field service visit is $1,011. And that means if you can't fix it the first day and you have to roll a truck the second day, you're spending another $1,011. So, you know, not only is it irritating to the customer when the field tech shows up and they don't have the part or they've never seen that equipment before, they just don't know how to fix it, but it's an incredible expense for the manufacturer as well. So, you know, again, back to my technology focus, um, there's so much we can do here with knowledge bases and online training videos and collaboration tools. Xerox is a great example. They have a, an online community just for their field service techs, and they had a great story that a guy showed up uh, to fix a, a uh, a big copy machine, industrial copier in Brazil, and it was like a 15-year-old copier. He had never even seen one before, and he was able to reach out through their online community and immediately connect to someone in another hemisphere who had seen that copier and knew how to fix it. And so he was wow. able to solve an unsolvable problem because he was leveraging real-time collaboration capabilities. So, you know, that's, a, again, I think not only are we losing a lot of these experts, but technology Technology is just becoming so complex that you can't possibly know everything about every hardware component or software application out there. So, you know, I think that's where we need to start getting creative and how we can leverage um, knowledge bases and knowledge videos and collaboration tools to try to always fix it the first time because you're saving money and you're definitely making the customer happier. Thank you, John. It brings to mind, I'm thinking, uh, first of all, thinking outside the box. Oh, it's not in my training manual. What do I do now? <laughs> and the other thing is uh, is the concept of, you know, we, I think many of us have been taught it's not about knowing the answers. It's about knowing the right questions to ask. So if a field service rep can think on their feet, use their mobile technology, know how to reset, reach out to a network that may or may not be present in that time zone, ask the right question, get the right expert on, deliver that information back to the customer, that's an amazing amount of processing that in an ideal world, John, could have taken place in a matter of minutes. And I, I, that's something that need, needs to be rewarded. What do you think? Well, I think more companies are doing exactly that. Uh, we're seeing, you know, adoption of collaboration tools, whether it's something simple like Yammer or a full, full-blown online community for field techs is probably used by at least a third of tech companies today. Mm -hmm. and my plan spending tells me about half of them are investigating spending on that in the next couple of years. So I'm hoping this is just going to be one of the standard tools in the toolbox and not an amazing story you can tell. <laughs> 
Great. I've been put in my place. Thank you. I was thinking futuristic. It's here. It's good. It's got to be spread around. Uh, Sumer Dutta at the Service Council, why don't you take a minute, minute, yeah, take a minute. I think we're going to skip the break. Your thoughts on the story that John just told and what we're talking about with Hanson. Go ahead. Take your time. I think it's a, it's a great point. And how do you go from, you know, being a field service repair organization to being a an ambassador, if you will? And the way I, I look at it, there, there are two elements of field service. I think there's field service effectiveness and then there's the field service experience. And what I mean by that is, is the effectiveness of your field service organization is measured through operational metrics traditionally. And that's things like making sure, you know, your on-time arrival. Uh, in certain instances, if there's a service-level agreement, obviously meeting that service-level agreement. First-time fix, fixing it right the first time, as everyone has kind of pointed out, you know, it, it's not it, – as long as if the technician's there, whether he got there or she got there on time or was late, it, you know, it's really, really important. The number one cause of dissatisfaction is that the technician – or the agent wasn't able to solve the problem the first time. So that's the effectiveness. That's the operational side, if you will. And it has significant impact, as John pointed out, from a cost perspective. It has a significant impact on the customer and the customer's nerves and customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And then obviously has a significant impact on whether that customer will choose to spend with the organization again uh, from a revenue perspective. So there's the field service effectiveness piece. Then there's the field service experience piece, which is some of the the newer elements where companies are beginning to compete. And that's things like, you know, was, was the person nice? Did they treat you well? Were they courteous? Did they fix things in your home when they removed them or moved them around? Did they arrive on time? Did they arrive within an acceptable time frame? Three weeks is not an acceptable time frame. Were they able to arrive within Thank that you. time? Mm-hmm. Were they able to give you advice on how you can use your product better so it doesn't fix, it doesn't break as much? Are they able to be, are they able to uh, provide you with advice and be solution advisors as opposed to just saying, hey, we fixed it. Can they help you understand what you can do in the future, perhaps so that it doesn't break? Um, so there's, there's, there's two, two theories of thoughts. There's the, uh, the effectiveness of field service and then there's the experience of field service. And how can you, how can both of those work in tandem? Um, and so, you know, certain things you could do, and you could do them operationally, or you can do them really well, but you could mess up the experience part. And But then you can't just have a great experience, but the effectiveness is not there. So both of those really need to go hand in hand, and that's where companies really need to begin to understand what impacts both of those elements and how it impacts the customer at the end. Thank you, Samir. I'm going to add an anecdote here, and while I'm doing that, uh, John Ragsdale, get the crystal ball out, and we're going to ask you to look ahead to 2020. My quick story is this uh, furniture tech who came out to fix the chair had to call into his his service organization and say, I'm here, this is the time, this is when I arrived, this is what I did, the customer is here. They put me on the phone in front of him, and the woman said to me, did he show up on time? Was he polite? Did he fix the problem? And I'm thinking... My God, I don't even get to do the customer service feedback survey in privacy with him standing there. What the heck was I supposed to say, kids? So I think that was a little bit of a short circuit on the time. It's like, could you wait five minutes till after he leaves, signs out, and then call me maybe? Anyway, interesting way. They weren't, they got a good answer from me, but they weren't maybe going to get a really honest answer with the guy standing 
22 inches away from me. Hello on his phone. So I digress. John Ragsdale, we've got seven minutes till the end of the show. I'm going to give you two minutes on the clock. Crystal ball. Can you see ahead for whether more and more companies are going to be turn, be able to turn their field service reps into effective customer ambassadors by the year 2020? Or what year do you like, John? Go. <laughs> well, if you look <laughs> at the data today, the largest percentage of field service visits, 29% are procedural how-do-I issues, not faulty equipment or failing parts. That's 26%. So I think there's going to be much less need for on-site repair in the next five to ten years uh, for a number of reasons. The shift to the cloud is taking more technology out of user environments. The Internet of Things means that everything's connected to uh, the web so we can remotely access it and try to fix the problem remotely. Uh, and hardware manufacturers are starting to redesign everything with plug-and-play parts so they can just send you the part and you can plug it in yourself. However, the technology complexity continues to ratchet up year over year, and customers are struggling to use and get value out of the technology. So in my view, the need for field service is going to continue to rise, but they are going to be the drivers of usability and drivers of product consumption, not the masters of break-fix. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciate it. Sumer Dutta, I can give you, why did you take two minutes or a little bit less? Go. Predictions. Well, I think uh, companies that are, are beginning to look at field services more than just the endpoint are, are the ones that are going to be successful in really driving not only field service results but customer results. What I mean by that is, you know, quite often when we think about field service, we think about the end interaction between the field agent and the customer, but we forget about all of the other things that came up to that. Um, in terms of, you know, the dispatch, what, what was that experience like? What was the information available at the dispatch? Uh, going back even further, what's, what was done from a remote monitoring perspective, as John talked about? Um, I think the, the connection between remote monitoring or machine-to-machine and field service is one of the bigger areas that companies are going to be investing in and looking at over the next three to five years. Uh, just given the significant impact that that will have. Uh, the folks at Xerox, that are, at Xerox was an example, used a really good philosophy, a left-to-right philosophy, in thinking that uh, all the way to the left was, you know, uh, dispatch-less service. So you had either remote service where the customer wasn't even aware of something happening, or you had self-service where there was no dispatch. Uh, then you did have where there was a dispatch needed, but in this case, it could have been preventive service or something before something was broken. So you send someone out to fix it because you know that that thing is likely to break or that product is likely to fail. And then you have the actual dispatch when something is broken and you have the actual technician. It's really understanding how all of those can work together to be a more effective service organization. And that's where I think companies are going to differentiate by being able to incorporate things like machine data and remote monitoring as well as self-service technologies and things like collaborative communications, things that make the technicians more effective when they're actually on site. Thank you very much. And we have left exactly two minutes exactly for Hanson Liu at SAP Predictions, please. Go ahead, Hanson. Thanks, Bonnie. So I mm-hmm. will take my two minutes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I think number one, so I think looking at sort of five, six years down the road, Bonnie, I think I, I'm, and I'm optimist, I, I believe that the service experience 
uh, that that Sumia talked about would would have improved a great deal, right? So we'll, we'll no longer be sort of making fun of the field tech guy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. showing up late and, and 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 you know walking all over your house with dirty dirty shoe and dirty boot and not fixing the problem. I think a lot of a lot of service organizations are going to improve, and I think the experience overall that customer will get will will have improved a great deal. And there's really no no choice there, in, in my opinion, because those that couldn't do it won't be around, right? So, and those that mm-hmm. will be around will will be able to address and deliver the type of experience that we as customers have come to expect, because that that is just the natural of uh, of of evolution. I mean, the 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 one that delivers what the customer wants will survive. Uh, I think the second sort of second area I would say is the the KPIs that a lot of these these service and field service organizations are using, I think will change. I think they will change sort of more towards uh, to address and to uh, to meet the objectives and goals of uh, what service executive want, which is you know to drive revenue. And what those KPI could be something like the duration of a downtime, for instance, right? So instead of mm-hmm. talking about how quickly can I respond to a a problem, now I could be measured by how how quickly can that downtime be uh, be eliminated. So can I can I meet a downtime of one hour? Can I meet a downtime of five hours a day, a day? You name it, right? So it would be KPI around those. Uh, KPI around revenue contributions. Uh, I think we talk a little bit about whether field service can sell or not. I think whether they sell directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. there will be some KPI around that. So, Hanson, I have a KPI. To, yep. I have a KPI to end the show in about forty seconds. Thank you so much. That was great. Hey, I want to say a, a very, very warm thank you to John Ragsdale at the TSIA, Sumer Data at the Service Council, Hanson Liu at SAP. You were an extraordinary panel. So much good information. Thank you for sharing. A lot of quotable moments. Shout out to Lana Smith at SAP who sponsors this series. To the the uh, tweetable, uh, the handle Customer Edge, the handle SAP CRM. I think Margot. Heiligman is out there tweeting. Somebody named Jamie Murillo is retweeting. Thank you, Jamie. Malcolm Kimberlin, Michael, and the Business Channel team. And let's see. Tomorrow is Thursday. I'm going to be on the air 10 a.m. Eastern with the future of business with Game Changers. Then we start all over again. HR Trends next Monday. Coffee Break Wednesday morning. The Internet of Things Wednesday afternoon. And next Thursday, it'll be Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Whoo! Fashion your seatbelt, kids. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of The Customer Edge with Game Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.